welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Dr. Ronak Rajani, who is a consultant cardiologist from Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital in London. Ronak, many thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast. So many thanks for having me, James. Ronak, can you just give the listeners a bit of background as to your current position? Yeah, so my name's uh, Dr. Ronak Rajani. I'm a consultant cardiologist at Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust and also the cardiology lead uh, for Cardiac CT. I'm also a reader in cardiovascular imaging with King's College London. And Ronak, you have a particular interest in Cardiac CT and in fact you've just published uh, a really interesting article in the Education in Heart section of the journal all about fractional flow reserve calculation using CT angiography and it's entitled Where Are We Now and Where Are We Going? And the senior author is uh, Professor Nick Curzon from Southampton. Ronak, perhaps we can start by, maybe you could spend a couple of minutes setting the scene. Why do we need FFRCT? So cardiac CT has undergone a tremendous evolution over the last decade, and it now really has become firmly established as a non-invasive test for the detection and exclusion of significant coronary artery disease. One of the major limiting factors with cardiac CT is in its positive predictive value. We know that it's very good at excluding disease, but when we identify disease, its accuracy in predicting obstructive disease is only at about 44%. So there is a need to have anatomical imaging in conjunction with functional testing. Now to date, uh, invasive, uh, coronary CT angiography has been very good at the anatomical description of disease, but it has been limited by its inability to determine whether or not the disease once detected is of functional significance. The prospect of having a functional test superimposed on an anatomical test really leads us to the holy grail of coronary imaging in terms of having an anatomical test and functional test with one imaging modality. Okay, so you're really getting to the, the heart of the issue, which is that quite a few patients who end up having invasive coronary angiograms uh, taken on patients with recent onset stable chest pain actually have normal coronary arteries. Yes, absolutely. There is good evidence to suggest, even emerging from the United States and their national registries, that up to 60% of patients who are listed for an invasive angiogram eventually are shown to have non-obstructive disease. Taking this uh, in consideration, also of those patients who go functional testing before invasive angiography, data recently has emerged which demonstrates that up to 60% of patients who have a positive dobutamine stress echo or myocardial perfusion syntogram um, subsequently have a normal uh, coronary angiogram with no obstructive coronary artery disease. So we're often left with patients in this middle ground, aren't we, where we see a, let's say, a, somewhere between a 30% and a 70% lesion on a CT angiogram, and we don't know whether that's going to be functionally significant and, and therefore whether it's going to require revascularization. And this is where FFRCT comes in, I guess. Yes, absolutely. So when we look at cardiac CT angiograms and we see intermediate stenosis severity, often these patients are either directly listed for invasive coronary angiography if we're at the higher degree of stenosis severity or they undergo functional testing in the first instance. So they then therefore have to have a coronary CT angiogram followed by a functional test followed by an invasive coronary angiogram which may or may not be uh, positive for obstructive coronary disease. And we should say that F invasive FFR is is really the gold standard in determining which patients benefit from from PCI. So what we're trying to do is cut out that step, as it were, and go straight from the CT scanner to 
a patient that definitely needs to be revascularized. Yes, absolutely. And in terms of the technique itself, so uh, it, it's a complicated technique requiring uh, understanding of computational flow dynamics, and you don't go into that, uh, but you do list a couple of excellent review papers that talk about the technique itself of FFRCT. But um, it requires, uh, well, can you tell me what elements does it require? So computational fluid dynamics uh, is not a, a new um, phenomenon in the world of bioengineering. And indeed, computational fluid dynamics has been around for in excess to 50 to 60 years. It's commonly used uh, in industry, particularly for the design of fighter jets, aeroplanes, and also the submarine and nautical industry, and also aerospace engineering. And the main reason why it hasn't been able to be incorporated into medical science is purely the computer processing power that required uh, to actually derive these algorithms. Now, with the advancements uh, in computer processing, with computer chips getting faster and quicker, it's now possible to utilize this technology in the medical domain. And this is a prime example of how bioengineering as a new speciality can now be incorporated onto medical image data sets. Now, computational fluid dynamics essentially is a technique which is involving uh, applied mathematics, physics, and also computational software to visualize how fluids interact with adjacent objects. And it relies on solving the Navier-Stokes equations, which describe how the velocity, pressure, and temperature and density of moving fluids are related. Now, the method for computation of FFRCT is detailed in the manuscript, but essentially it's taking a coronary CT data set, performing a high accurate, highly accurate anatomical model of the coronary arteries, modeling uh, the physiology of the circulation, modeling for maximal hyperemia, modeling the computation of coronary flow, and from this we're able to de uh, derive a three-dimensional FFRCT solution for the coronary CT data set. We've seen with a number of iterations of the heart flow algorithm that the time taken to perform the FFRCT on a coronary CT data set has fallen dramatically even within a five-year time frame. There were initial reports that this would take up to a week to get the results back, but this has now been refined and there are now emerging reports that an FFRCT result can be given back to the referrer within an hour of the CT data set being submitted. So really it's now uh, encroaching on an area where this could be ready for prime time. Okay, and we should say that, that HeartFlow is the vendor of the uh, current uh, solution that's out there and the one that's been validated the most in, in, prospective, in prospective trials. And in terms of an actual workflow then, so a clean cardiac CT, good quality cardiac CT is required. And then this is then analyzed off-site in Boston, as you say, over a few hours time. And then you end up with what looks like a CT coronary angiogram, but every stenosis is labeled, I guess. Is that what, we, is that what we're talking about? Yes, absolutely. So the, the coronary CT data set is uploaded via the cloud. That's then taken by a specialist bioengineer who works on the data set does the segmentation, applies all of the computational fluid dynamics, and the result is fed back uh, to the referrer via the web um, using a three-dimensional tree-volume rendered image of the coronary arteries, which is color-coded for the FFRCT and for each lesion. Okay. And there are several trials that have validated this against invasive FFR, which uh, readers can go and check out in your manuscript. And then there's the pivotal study, I suppose, called the platform study, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's uh, been so important in getting FFRCT into uh, our national guidelines in the UK? Yes, yeah, sure. So, I mean, there were a number of trials looking at the diagnostic accuracy of FFRCT, and probably the most notable of these was the HeartFlow NXT trial. 
which took uh, approximately 251 patients and compared invasive FFR versus FFRCT in patients with a stenosis severity greater or equal to 30%. And this technique, using an updated algorithm of the FFRCT software, demonstrated a significant improvement in the positive predictive accuracy of coronary CT datasets compared to a visual read of coronary CT. Now, up until this date, there had been very little outcome uh, data trials using the FFRCT. And hence, the platform trial was published, uh, which was a large-scale study of 585 patients. And it was designed to test the hypothesis that the evaluation of patients with stable chest pain with suspected coronary artery disease using coronary CTA and FFRCT as the default test would result in lower rates of invasive coronary angiography showing no obstructive disease. Now, the trial was split into two uh, consecutive cohorts. The first arm of the trial basically compared those patients who were undergoing uh, standard functional testing by means of myocardial perfusion scintigraphy, dobutamine stress echo, compared with CT-FFR-CT as a first-line test. Now, this particular arm of the study showed no significant difference. Where the real interesting aspect for the study came was in the second uh, arm of the study. Now, this arm of the study was designed to look at those patients who were scheduled already to undergo invasive coronary angiography and those patients who had CTA, FFR, CT as a test done before the scheduled invasive coronary angiogram. Now, on this particular arm, the study was able to demonstrate that CTA and FFR, CT had a significant impact on the rate of normality and reduced the need for patients to undergo invasive coronary angiography. And this met the primary endpoint of the study. Another very clinical uh, important result from the platform study was that at one year, no MACE events had occurred in the 117 patients whose coronary angiograms were deemed unnecessary based on the reassuring coronary CTA and FFRCT findings. And also there was a lower mean cost, which equated to approximately minus 33% of medical care with an FFRCT guided strategy versus an invasive strategy at one year. Okay, and this clearly has caught the eye of the NICE committee in the UK, uh, particularly the improvement to, to patient pathways and also the reduction in cost, such that the uh, FFRCT test is now mentioned in the NICE guidelines. Are you able to talk uh, just for the last minute of, minute of our interview about that, Ranak? Where, does, where do you think FFRCT fits into the current uh, NICE guidelines? So it's not currently indicated for use in the stable chest pain guide, guidelines, and in particular the updated CG95 guidance. What it has achieved is an MTAC approval, so a medical technology advisory committee approval, that it may be considered for use in patients who undergo coronary CT angiography for patients with stable chest pain. And the NICE MTAC committee came out with three major recommendations that, number one, heart flow FFR CT was supported by the evidence, uh, it was safe and had a high level of diagnostic accuracy. It also made a recommendation that heart flow FFR CT should be considered as an option for patients with stable recent onset chest pain who were offered coronary CTA as part of the NICE pathway of chest pain and that this may avoid the need for invasive coronary angiography. It should, it's also important to mention that it is stipulated that really the coronary CT data set should be of good quality but the only requirement is actually a 64-slice MDCT scanner. Uh, the NICE MTAC committee, following their economic uh, evaluation, also suggested that if heart flow FFRCT was used on a systematic basis, 
this could result in £214 being saved per patient and an estimated cost by 20,000 by uh, 2022 would be approximately 9.1 million by avoiding the need for unnecessary invasive cardiac catheterization. Okay, and those numbers are as we talk now, which is uh, August 2017. Yes, I guess yes. um, as a, a counterpoint, we should say that uh, most of the trials have found that around 10% of cardiac CT scans are such that the FFRCT can't be carried out, and that's either because of uh, scan artifacts or, or heavy calcification. Uh, and then again, the other thing is that this is, of course, an off-site technique, and I suppose the, the holy grail, as it were, will be incorporation of this perhaps into some of the uh, current CT workstations. Um, and I gather that that work is ongoing but not yet resolved. Yes, absolutely. So an ideal solution, some would say, would be to have access to FFRCT on the routine workstations that are used to analyze coronary CT data sets. And I think the two important things to mention is that although this would be ideal, this would not be the same technology as what is being offered by the heart flow model of FFRCT, which is actually true three-dimensional FFRCT. Many of the workstation-based solutions requires one-dimensional FFRCT and uses lumped parameter models and uses image resolution which is far lower than used by the HeartFlow FFRCT model. So the both techniques should not be considered to be equivalent and they are distinct in terms of how the FFRCT is derived. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ranak, for, for uh, joining us on, on this episode of the uh, podcast. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. And I will put links to the piece uh, that you've written for Heart uh, in the show notes below the podcast so everybody can, uh, can go and have a look. Thanks very much. Okay. Thank you very much, James. Thank you.